Luke chapter 4, this is titled, Walking as a Spirit-Filled Christian. Walking as a Spirit-Filled Christian. And thinking of those languages where for the first time they are now getting a Bible that they can read. Ephesians 1.13 reminds us how essential it is to have the gospel translated into every language. Paul writes, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise. So people must hear the gospel in their own language. They must have the gospel in their own native and common language to be saved. So it's a privilege to be part of a ministry that is making that happen for churches uh, in places we can't, that we can't go. Um, because we've already enjoyed our guest speaker, I'll try not to linger too long today. But at Luke chapter 4, as we look there, uh, we'll have one more lesson from the temptations of Christ. And today we'll take a close look at just one feature of this passage, and that would be Christ's Spirit-filled walk. He was full of the Spirit. This discussion of being filled with the Spirit, you hear it talked about all the time, takes many directions. Some are spiritually challenging to us. Others are encouraging. Some take a direction that God never intended, folks. A direction uh, that can't be found in Scripture. So these perceptions of being filled with the Spirit, they can turn many different directions. Some can even become outright bizarre, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But one thing that all true Christians, all genuine Christians agree on, is that the Bible commands us to be filled with the Spirit. Walk through life being filled with the Spirit. And in our earlier scripture reading from Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul tells us, I say, he says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, Paul writes. So he says in verse 18, be led by the Spirit. He said, walk in the Spirit, so be led by the Spirit. And we see there's a, there's a conflict between the Spirit of God and the flesh, the lure of our sinful nature. The indwelling Holy Spirit, who eternally seals all Christians, according to Ephesians, unto the day of redemption. Ephesians 4.30 clarifies that. Uh, that indwelling Holy Spirit, it exists in a conflict with our flesh. That's why I said last week that if you have no spiritual yearning at all, no, no spiritual desire to strive against, to overcome the desires of, of your sinful flesh, if that doesn't exist, Scripture would suggest that you're probably not a Christian. There's no, no uh, conflict going on. And evidence that you are born again by the Holy Spirit, that your heart is regenerated by the Holy Spirit is, <laughs> folks, you're in continuous battle against the flesh. Um, it's, your, it's your desire to want to please God through your spirit and the desire of the flesh that longs after uh, all those sinful desires that we had uh, before becoming a Christian. And they're trying to reassert control over us. And as we learned last week, th- that struggle of the weakness of being in human flesh, it's something that Jesus experienced but without sin, right? Paul himself, the Apostle Paul, being a sinful man, also experienced this conflict and wrote about it extensively in his epistles. 
In Romans chapter 7, verse 18, Paul writes, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, he clarifies. For the willing is present in me, he's speaking of the Spirit there, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I am doing the very thing that I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Well, don't stop reading there, folks. Because Paul uh, laments further. He says, wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord who sets us free. And in Romans 8, 1 we're promised, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. To summarize that, uh, the law could never save us. Keeping the Ten Commandments, keeping the Mosaic Law, it, it could never save us because we've never been able to keep it. And so Christ came in the flesh to perfectly obey God and, and the law where every single one of us has failed. That was our message last week, if you remember, folks. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, same context of what we were just reading, uh, there that passage essentially summarizes our lesson about Christ from last week where he conquered the sins that we all share in common. The law cannot save us. The breaking of the law condemns us. For Romans 8.3 says, For what the law could not do, means it couldn't save us, for what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, as an offering for sin, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So Paul has that, that struggle in the flesh in, in Romans chapter 7, and in Romans chapter 8 he says, We are the ones who do not walk according to the flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit. So Paul concludes, the spirit indwelt Christian, uh, they're determined to set aside that desire of the flesh, the sinful part of our, our being. Galatians actually said to crucify it, in our reading earlier, crucify the flesh, and instead walk according to the spirit. Folks, that, that's, that's a choice the unsaved person doesn't have. They are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. All they can do is follow the flesh. They are dead in their sins. Their only option is to walk in the flesh. But we, because we've been bought by Christ's precious blood, the Spirit is alive in us, we're told to walk in the Spirit. And Galatians 5.16 promises, But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So very simply, we need to know how to walk in the Spirit. We need to know that. That's our goal today. And walking in the Spirit, as, as we read in, in our Scripture reading from Galatians, it's synonymous, uh, synonymous excuse me, of being led by the Spirit. It's also synonymous, we'll find, of being filled with the Spirit. And how do we know that? We know that because Scripture tells us. Ephesians 5.15, Paul writes again, Therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as 
unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. So don't do that, but do what? Paul says, but be filled with the Spirit. Let me restate that for you. The warning is, be careful how you walk. Do not be filled with wine. Uh, Being filled with wine is walking according to the flesh. Instead, Paul says, walk being filled with the Spirit. That's the Spirit-filled walk. Walking in the Spirit is equivalent to being filled with the Spirit. What does this all have to do with Jesus' walk in the wilderness? Luke chapter 4. Look with me at Luke chapter 4 and we'll see. This is immediately after his baptism now, as we studied last week. Luke 4, 1 says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, right? Returned from, Jor- from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit. That means he walked by the Spirit in the wilderness. Same as what we saw in Galatians. Be filled with the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. So Jesus was filled with the Spirit, therefore he walked in the Spirit as he went through the wilderness. So we have to ask ourselves a question. With Jesus being our pattern, uh, as, our, as our perfect pattern, for Jesus being filled with the Spirit, being full of the Spirit, and, and walking or being led by the Spirit, what did that look like for Jesus? How was being filled with the Spirit manifested through those 40 days of being in the wilderness? When full of the Spirit, did Jesus roll around ecstatically or uncontrollably in the pews of the church? No. Did he laugh hysterically, as as some suggest, as a sign of being filled with the Spirit? No. Did he pass out or jump around or wave flags or carry banners or, or run around and draw attention to himself? No. Did Jesus, even at this time, did he babble in unintelligible languages as as a manifestation of the Holy Spirit? No. In in fact, in no place in Scripture, in no place in God's Holy Word, will you ever find laughing or jumping or falling down or rolling around or babbling unintelligibly as an indication you're filled with the Spirit. That's not what the Bible teaches. And the reason we, we need to draw attention to this is, um, it's because some here I know are, are conflicted. You're thinking to yourself, um, could that be a sign of being filled with the Spirit? Because I know as, as I was an early Christian, as I first became a Christian, still learning, and, and today still learning, but especially as I was a new Christian, I question, you know, is there any merit to that stuff? You see it, you watch it on YouTube, it's like, it looks kind of goofy, is there any merit? Maybe I'm missing out on something. Anybody struggle with that? You don't have to raise your hand. But people wonder. People wonder. You maybe even be concerned, uh, because a friend might have said to you, it's, you know what? I know what church you go to, that's not a very fi- uh, spirit-filled church. It's, it's not truly spiritual, it's not spirit-filled. And, and admittedly, you know, we aren't, Especially expressive or emotional, are we? Oh, Gerald cries once in a while. (laughs) So the question is, are we truly a spirit-filled church? 
Because there are churches out there that suggest unless we uh, have some kind of uncontrollably ecstatic uh, emotional behavior, they suggest that we're not. Some would even propose that, that those who are full of the Spirit should appear as if they're drunk with the Spirit. Have you heard that? They siphoned that idea from Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. And uh, it was the occasion when the apostles were speaking of the mighty deeds of Christ and the gospel to all those on that day of Pentecost. And they're speaking these mighty deeds in actual foreign languages that people could understand. And it was for the benefit of the visitors. There were visitors there for the feast from, from all different nations that had Jewish heritage They came to Jerusalem and Judea to attend the Feast of Pentecost. And the local Judeans, who were a lot like us, all they knew was one language, most of them, they couldn't understand these foreign languages, and they actually mocked the apostles on that day, saying, they must be full of new wine. But how does Peter address that accusation? He responds by saying to the crowd in Acts chapter 2, verse 15, These men are not drunk. Not drunk. Folks, grab your concordance off the shelf. I hope you each have one. That's a listing of every word in the Bible, and you can go through every place that the word drunk or drunkenness is used and look to every every place in the Bible. Being drunk is never represented in the Bible as being spiritual. It's never being dignified. It's never being spirit-filled. Becoming drunk implies, according to Ephesians, dissipation. Debauchery is, is how it's translated in some uh, translations. It's a, it's a Greek word that, that implies a, a self-induced destruction. Think about it. What does being drunk all the time do? It's a, it's a self-induced destruction. Loss of control can also signify wasting your life, allowing your life to be wasted. Ephesians 5 verse 15 says, Be careful how you walk. Do not be foolish. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But instead, be filled with the Spirit. So how does truly being filled with the Spirit actually look? Fortunately, that same passage continues by telling us, Being filled with the Spirit is made manifest through, uh, according to Ephesians chapter 5, through speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. That's being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is evidenced by speaking to one another, communicating to one another, communing as a body of Christ through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's being filled with the Spirit. Why? Well, a parallel passage from Colossians, also written by Paul, you'll recognize this one as well, fortunately supplies to us the required prerequisites. Big word. Prerequisites of the content of these psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Paul writes in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. So the subject here is the word of Christ. That is scripture. The word of Christ. Um, And he says, Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, 
teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The biblical design, the the biblical content and purpose for singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is teaching and admonishing. Admonishing is correcting. Teaching and correcting one another with the word of Christ, with the scripture. The purpose for spiritual music is to facilitate the word of Christ richly dwelling within us. Truly spiritual songs, they're doctrinal, they're instructional in the Bible, they're instructional in the Word. In fact, that is the nature of the book of Psalms in the Old Testament. You probably know Psalms consists of scriptural doctrine. It is scripture in the form of spiritual song or, or Hebrew poetry. That's what the Psalms are. Spiritual music is to instruct us, to teach us, admonish us in the Word of Christ. Spiritual music is not designed to give us warm fuzzies, folks. That's not the purpose of spiritual song. And as we sing the hymns and the spiritual songs that we have, they ought to be teaching us God's Word. They ought to teach and admonish us the Word of Christ. Um, Everything we do on Sunday, folks, everything that we do on Sunday is supposed to teach you, immerse you in God's Word. Morning Sunday school, whether you're with the adult group with Jerry, the youth, um, children's church, everything that we do is supposed to be filled with God's Word. The service, song, the prayer, the preaching is all supposed to be saturated with God's Word so that it's intended to doctrinally teach us, teach us all, and fill us with the knowledge and the understanding of Holy Scripture. That is the purpose of song. Why? That's our point. Because as you are filled with God's Word, filled with the Word of Christ, when you let it richly dwell within you, you are being filled with the sword of the Spirit, right? That is God's Word, the Bible. It's the Word of God, which is synonymous with being filled with the Spirit. So that as you leave here, as we leave here, we can be led around and we can walk according to the Spirit. According to the sword of the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit, folks, it's not like this. Some of the songs you hear, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come and flood this place and fill the atmosphere. Folks, That's not an indication of being filled with the Spirit. That type of music is not by design instructional, teaching or admonishing admonishing us. It doesn't fill listeners with the Word of God. It's not designed to fill the listeners with the Word of God. That style of music, though I will agree, it is pleasing to the ears. That style of music, by design, as it is written, is emotional, it is mystical, it is transcendental, folks. It's intended not 
to fill with the Spirit. It's intended to stimulate the flesh by design. Many worship leaders also insist at the same time. They insist, you need to empty your mind. Right? You need to empty your mind. That's why they dim the lights down real low and they press the fog button. Folks, that's Eastern mysticism. Emptying your mind and getting out of yourself. That's not biblical Christianity. Fortunately, you know, 2,000 years of historic Christianity, it hasn't hinged on the existence of a fog button. It's hinged on the, on the sustainability, the, the holding fast to the Holy Word of God. That's what the church hinges on. We don't empty our minds. Romans 12 verse 2 says we fill our minds. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. It's a spiritual service of worship. He continues, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is. That's the purpose. Be renewed with your mind so that you can prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. Our spiritual service of worship and being filled with the Holy Spirit is not manifested in an experience of dim sensuality. Being filled with the Spirit is evidenced by the renewing of your mind intellectually, with what the will of God is. It understands what the will of God is as it is written in Scripture. Jesus, full of the Spirit, says repeatedly what? In this passage, Luke 4. It is written. That's his response each time that he's challenged by Satan. He's full of the Spirit. His response is, it is written. And then he quotes Scripture. Romans 12 suggests our bodies are a holy, a living sacrifice, acceptable to God as we learn to discern what His will is, and then do His will, not just to know it, but to do it. That's our spiritual service of worship. We are spirit-filled as we come to know, and then come to live according to the Word of God, because that is the will of God. Well, perhaps you are still a little hesitant to agree. Let's ask Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew, his account of the temptations, Matthew chapter 4, just a couple books over. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. This is parallel account now to Jesus' temptations in the wilderness. We already know from Luke and studying last week uh, that Jesus is full of the Spirit and is being led by the Spirit. He's walking in the Spirit in uh, this context. He's full of the Spirit. He's walking in the Spirit. In Matthew 4, verse 3, after Jesus had become hungry, now we'll talk about that in a moment. After Jesus had become hungry, Satan said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered and said, Look with me. It is written. Oh, thank you. It is written. Man shall not live on bread alone. You can look at the verse yourself. 
What does Jesus indicate a person who is spiritual, full of spirit, lives off of? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what a person full of the Spirit looks like. They're living off every word that proceeds out of the mouth of of God. Jesus didn't contemplate Satan's temptations. Because while walking in the wilderness, he was sustained by, he, he was nourished by, he lived by, not bread. He was full of the Word of God. He was full of the Spirit. Bread doesn't spiritually fill. It's good for the body, but it doesn't spiritually fill anybody. It's only the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, that spiritually fills. A Spirit-filled Christian is filled by, is sustained by, is full of every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Right there. That's what a person who is filled with the Spirit is full of. The Bible. Turn back with me to Luke chapter 4. Jesus full of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit again. In verse 2, it says, For forty days, being tempted by the devil, he ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, meaning when those days had ended, he became hungry. I guess I can see that. Why did Jesus not eat anything? It says, because he wasn't hungry. He didn't become hungry until after the 40 days. It had ended. He was full of the Word of God. He was filled with the Spirit of God. That is what a Spirit-filled Christian looks like. They're so full of their Bible, folks. They're so filled with the sword of the Spirit, they respond to fleshly temptations with the written Word of God. It is written. Every temptation, the response is, it is written. That's exactly how Jesus walked, as he is full in the Spirit. Full of the Spirit, every time he was tempted. When worldly and sinful temptations come our way, and they surely will, do we, think to yourself, do you, immediately respond with, it is written. If not, is it because you're not filled with the Spirit? Because you don't know what to say because you haven't been in the Word of God. It could be a reason. And and it could be because you don't spend a lot of time in your Bible or in the Word of God. Worse less, no time in church. We'll talk about that in the next group of passages in two weeks when Jesus taught as His custom was in the synagogues. And we'll go into church attendance. In fact, I think Pastor Weiler gave a message this week to the youth during youth group, about the importance of being in church. Right? People think you can be just as spiritual sitting at home in the recliner with a remote in your hand as you can be going to church. No. Can't do it. Can't do it. Uh, Hebrews tells us that those who forsake the assembly of the saints, they've disobeyed God. It's sin. It's sin. You are filled with the Spirit as you come together with the people You do study your Bible at home. You memorize hymns. You sing songs as we go. As we go out, hopefully, as we sing the hymns all week long, sometimes they're ruminating in my mind. You ever run into that? You can't get out of the songs that you've sung about Jesus and about doctrine and about the Bible. It carries you through the week. You're just full of the Spirit. 
Um, folks, we have to be in church. We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. Not to be un- misunderstood. I don't want to be unclear here. To be a spirit-filled Christian, to be a spirit-filled church, is for us to be filled with the sword of, of the Spirit, the Word of God, and then to depart here walking in the Spirit and responding to every temptation that comes as the Word of God would have us respond. It is written. Every pers- we respond by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Christ did that perfectly. Perfectly. That's our model. That, that is our, our Savior, our Lord. The person who walks as a spirit-filled Christian is a person who consistently, repeatedly is filled with the Word of God through the reading of the Word of God at home, through prayer, through preaching, through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, always filled, always full of. That's why I would suspect, I think it's pretty clear to me, you'll have to decide for yourself. Although... Ephesians, the book of Ephesians tells us that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, unto the day of redemption, right? That's what the Bible teaches, not only in Ephesians, but elsewhere. That we're permanently indwelled with the Holy Spirit, yet still Ephesians directs us to keep on being filled with the Spirit. Because you can keep on being filled with the Spirit of God, the sword of the Spirit. You aren't going to lose your spirit. You're permanently indwelled with the spirit. He's converted your heart if you're a Christian. He has regenerated you and he will not forsake you. Romans chapter 8 again. But you can decide whether or not you're going to fill yourself with the spirit. And you're going to be full of the spirit and respond as Jesus does. It then becomes obvious why those in the spirit, in scripture, who are full of the spirit, they're constantly speaking forth God's word. You'll notice that as you look through Scripture and see those who were full of the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. Uh, you got Jesus to the devil here in Luke chapter 4. Peter on the day of Pentecost was full of the Spirit, speaking forth the gospel and the word of God. You got Stephen the day that he was martyred, right? Full of the Spirit, speaking the truth of Christ. You've got Paul repeatedly full of the Spirit. Barnabas, Simeon, who we studied a couple months ago earlier in Luke, full of the Spirit, all responding to their situations and their circumstances by speaking forth the Word of God. It is written. They were all full of the Spirit. They were so full of the Word of God, it it just, it spilled over into every situation because they're full of the Spirit. Any situation, good or bad. I think we've got this. I think we've got this figured out of what this filled with the Spirit is. But just a word of caution. word of caution here. For the Spirit-filled Christian, the Word needs to also be internalized and evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit. That evidence of the fruit of the Spirit that that the Word of God is working through your life. Um, I'm sure we've all met more than enough Christians who know a lot of the Bible, can quote a lot of the Bible, but aren't really nice. That's not full of the Spirit. They may know enormous amounts of Scripture, but from day to day don't walk in the Spirit. Even the devil quotes Scripture. He knows Scripture. He's not full of the Spirit. So we must also see the fruit of the Spirit. We must not merely know the Word of God, but also be controlled by the Word of God and the indwelling Spirit of God. So being full of the Holy Spirit, it's not evidenced, through churches that have a 15-minute sermonette 
and then 45 minutes of sensual music. That's not full of the Spirit. Turning down the lights and turning up the volume to superficial music that doesn't reflect anything from the Word of God. And then standing there as if they're in a trance, emptying their minds. Folks, that's not Spirit-filled. Nothing about that is Spirit-filled. Nothing about that is seen in the Word of God. You can't find it. One final observation before we depart and have a good lunch. Jesus himself, he didn't have to crucify the flesh to not sin. He, he, we talked last week about how he, in him all the fullness of deity dwelled in bodily form, yet in the weakness of the flesh, he, could, he had the fleshly temptations like the bread. He could have became hungry and other things where Satan tried to use those to manipulate Jesus. Didn't go so well. For Satan, that is. Jesus was sinless. He didn't have to become dead to sin, but he did remain dead to the flesh, remain dead to the natural weaknesses of the flesh, the weariness, the tiredness, the, the hunger, the longings of the flesh that are like that, the natural longings of the flesh. He did remain dead to them. That's why he didn't hunger for 40 days. By the filling of the word of God, Jesus was to be dead to the longings of the flesh. Try to stay with me here for just a couple more moments. This might be worth your price of admission right here. Check this out. Through the filling of the word, Jesus crucified the flesh, kept it at bay, didn't let it rule over him. He didn't become physical, physically hungry, right, for 40 days. He didn't let it rule him. He let the Word of God rule him. And there's big confusion out there about this from this passage. When you walk in the Spirit, you will be deadened to the cravings of the flesh. Not perfectly dead because we still live in the flesh as Paul had that balance of the struggle against sin. But we'll be deadened as we are filled with the Spirit more and more. We will become deadened to those cravings of the flesh, whether the natural cravings like hunger or sinful cravings like lust. You'll become more and more deadened. Uh, That's what we see with Jesus. He didn't become hungry. Pretty much everything I've read on this topic has this incorrect. There's not a lot of good information on there. A little bit. You, You can find some good information about this, what I'm about to share with you. But there isn't much. Folks, Jesus was not fasting to become spiritual here. Hang with me. He was not fasting in order to become spiritual. Biblical fasting is not presented as a mechanism to become more spiritual or to crucify the cravings of the flesh and sin. It's not presented that way in the Bible. I only remember... One in the Bible, you might be able to find another. I remember one in the Bible who saw fasting as a means of becoming very spiritual. Who was it? The Pharisee. The Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee was applauding himself, actually, he says, praying to himself. Because he said that he fasted all the time, did all of these different things. He saw it as a means of becoming really spiritual. Fasting did not make him spiritual. Just fasting. He did it all the time. He wasn't spiritual at all. It's not biblical fasting. Uh, Biblically, 
It's not presented as a mechanism to become more spiritual. It's not presented as a mechanism to crucify cravings for fleshly things like sin. It's not represented as that. Jesus is not presented in this passage as being full of the Spirit or able to resist sin because of fasting. Fasting is not the cause here. He becomes spiritual through walking in the Spirit so that he would not long for those desires of the flesh. The spirituality came from feasting on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's how he became spiritual. So consequently, because of that, he didn't become hungry. He was full of the Spirit of God. Fasting, as we discussed last January, biblically fasting is an expression of a grieving. Grieving a loss or a sorrow over sin. When we were in Jonah, I gave a message titled, Biblical Fasting. If you remember that one, it's back in January. You can find that on on the website, January 8th, if you so desire, of this year. But there we discovered Old Testament, New Testament consistently that fasting was biblically practiced during situations of mourning over a loss, impending destruction either of Nineveh or of Israel, or grieving over one's sin, grieving over a condition that is hopeless. Fasting is an expression, sometimes a byproduct, of sorrow over sin. Grieving over sin. That also, by the way, would be a common result of being filled with the Word of God. If you are filled with the Word of God regularly, chances are you're going to grieve over your sin. And how short we all fall of the Word of God. A heartfelt grieving over sin and its consequences. There was no possible sorrow while Christ remained in the presence of his disciples, we're told. This is why Jesus told the Pharisees his disciples couldn't fast as long as he was there with him. They couldn't be sorrowful as Jesus was amongst them, their Lord and Savior, but he said there would come a day when they would fast after he was taken from them. A crucifixion of your Savior. Folks, that could make you lose your appetite. That could make you sorrowful. That could make you grieve seeing that over the enormous cost of your sin. If you have remaining questions about that fasting, folks, I know this is probably something you haven't heard a lot about. Most churches don't even really tackle it much because there's so many different ideas of what fasting is and why it is and so many preconceived notions of why people do it. Um, There just isn't a lot of teaching of it. But uh, that to say, if you want to uh, learn more about fasting, go to the February 8th message as we talked about the Old Testament, New Testament, about fasting. Um, After that, you can email me. Folks, um, you'll search in vain through the Bible to find a proof text that even implies that fasting makes you more spiritual. The question remains, where in the Bible 
do we see how we become spiritual? How do we crucify the desires of the flesh? Galatians 5.24 said our scripture reading earlier, you crucify the flesh by walking in the spirit, by being filled with the spirit. That's how you put the flesh to death. You crucify it by being filled with the word of God, which might result in fasting. You might skip a few meals, but we're never told to use it as a means of becoming spiritual by any of the apostles. Neither by the eleven, nor Paul, nor by his traveling companions. In the context and the letters where Paul commands that we crucify the desires of the flesh, fasting is never mentioned. We're commanded to crucify the desires of the flesh by walking in the Spirit. Fasting is never, not even written in the book, mentioned. Such as in Galatians. Big problem there, trying to make that work out. That fasting is the way you do it. When the apostles don't talk about it. None of the apostolic epistles actually, none of them, not even the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus, who teach us how to behave as a church, how to function as a church, not even them, then, in any of them, is fasting even mentioned. Much less uh, indicated to be a means of purity or holiness. If it actually were a means, don't you think that it'd be a priority of the apostles to let us know that it's a means? It's not. It's not. Um, you see it in Acts a couple times when there's persecution going on in the church. On in the church. You'll see it in Antioch right after uh, James was killed and Peter was arrested. Well, they were fasting. They were in sorrow. After Acts... After the Acts of the Apostles, it's only mentioned two or three times in Acts. Beyond that, all the epistles, never mentioned. Everything that we have as a church to teach us how to be holy, how to be righteous, and fasting is never mentioned. Folks, um, you might pursue a retreat. You might go to the wilderness. You might fill yourself with the Word of God and dedicate your time to that spiritual retreat in the wilderness. You might be so full of the Word of God that you too don't eat. You might fast. You might not even take a sandwich with you because you, aren't, you know you aren't going to become hungry. You're going to spend time with the Lord. That's what we see with Christ. He didn't become hungry because he was full of the Word of God. But it's not commanded as a way of becoming spiritual. But if you're full of the Spirit, you'll probably have little trouble going without food. Because you're feasting on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The hungers and the longings of your flesh have no control over you at that point. You've had your spiritual food and nourishment. So you want to be at walk as a spirit-filled Christian. I'm going to close with John chapter 4. Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. We all know that passage. Um, He had declared to her the truth of God, that he is the Christ. He'd revealed her whole heart. It had been laid out in the open. And in verse 28, John chapter 4, it says that the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? 
They went out from the city and were coming to Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him. Remember where the disciples had gone? They went to get food. Jesus stayed behind. He had work to do. They went to get food. So meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat! But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, No one brought him anything to eat, did he? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus was satisfied because he was full of the word of God and he used it to do the will of God. So he wasn't hungry. By comparison, if you have a lot of difficulty going without food or you have difficulty on that retreat or difficulty fasting, it might indicate that you don't have a regular diet of solid food. Just saying. Perhaps not walking in the Spirit, but walking according to the flesh. So, to celebrate, we say we all skip lunch today. No, looking forward to a good dinner and uh, encouraging one another and getting to know more from Kib, Kim Hibbard. Let's pray.